And so I told him, I said, you gotta go around the corner and take a ride at the light. It's the only one we got, so you can't miss it. Wait, what? Yeah, so when I seen him the other day, I said, if you're looking out your front window, you gotta take a right at the end of the street, then hang a left when you get down to the creek. Oh, no. I think Laura and Andy have slipped back into their rural Midwest selves. What the heck you mean? I got this. Oh, yeah? I tell you, I says, I don't know what kind of place he thinks this is. I feel like you guys are talking about me, but I honestly don't know. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for joining us on this episode of Fine Laws Don't Judge Me, the podcast about the real life of lawyering. On today's episode, some of us are returning to our small town roots. And others are just quoting Fargo. Coming up, we're taking a closer look at the challenges and triumphs of being a lawyer in a small market. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Fine Laws Don't Judge Me. We've got the crew sort of back together here again. I'm Laura, and I'm here in the studio with Joe. Hi, Laura. Good to be here. Out of an abundance of caution, given the coronavirus outbreak, uh, Andy and Allie are once again coming to us remotely. Hello, Allie. Hello. I miss you guys. Oh, <laughs> so sweet. Hi, Andy. I don't miss you guys. I knew oh, you were yeah. going to say that. I absolutely knew that that's what you were going to say. <laughs> I actually do miss you guys quite a lot, (laughs) for the record. (laughs) We knew you did. (laughs) So on today's show, we are talking about what life is like for small-town lawyers. And small-town life does have several advantages over the big city. Cleaner air, less traffic, and a cheaper cost of living. But that cheap life also means lower wages. And for many attorneys, that means making a living in Mayberry is close to impossible. While 20% of the U.S.'s population lives in rural areas... According to a 2014 South Dakota Law Review study, only 2% of attorneys ply their craft there. And as rural areas are getting older, so are the attorneys, and there are few new ones coming in to replace them. According to the Illinois Supreme Court, in Macoupin County, where I'm from, fewer than five new attorneys have taken up shop there in the last five years. And 16 counties across Illinois have added no attorneys in that time span. And it gets worse in other more rural states. According to the Nebraska Bar Association, 11 counties there have no lawyers whatsoever. And a lot of people don't realize that small-town lawyers are often jacks-of-all-trades, having to help clients from cradle to grave through a wide variety of legal issues. I mean, they definitely have interesting careers. So we wondered, what is life like for the small-town lawyer? Joining us as Don't Judge Me's inaugural guest is Chris Frank of Frank Law Office in Wilmer, Minnesota. A 2015 graduate of Ohio Northern University Pettit College of Law, Chris's primary focus is on business, estate, and tax planning, as well as real estate law. Chris and his father, Cletus, cover a broad range of legal issues for the community, from family law to agricultural law. Thanks for joining us, Chris. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So, Chris, why don't you just start by giving us a rundown of what the average week is like for you and your dad at your practice? Uh, Laura was definitely right there when it's a, a jack-of-all-trades kind of thing. So, I mean, we we, we do everything from family law uh, to estate planning and wills, uh, real estate transactions, probates, uh, business creation and transactions. Uh, right now, my undergrad was an accounting degree from St. Cloud State University, and so I'm doing a lot of tax stuff right now, too. So. Sure. I even tried criminal when I first got out of law school and some child protection work, and that uh, that didn't fit with me. Uh, but there are a lot of people around my town that still do a lot of that as well. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and, and yeah, I mean, any given week, whatever the case you're working on, that's that's what you got that week or that day. So it's, it's definitely a bit of everything. Yeah. So Chris, I I want to know, uh, do you do you have a life? Do do you get do you get to have a life as a small town lawyer? Yeah. I mean, I mean in uh, many ways, I guess I'd like to kind of hear my opposite end from a city attorney too. I had the idea that the city city attorneys are the ones working. Uh, you know, like these 12 to 16 hour days and having to having to bust themselves just to get ahead in the city. Yeah. While out here in the rural areas, it's more it's more like a eight to 10 hour workday. Um, usually, usually get to leave when the sun is still up. You know, especially especially now. So uh, I definitely have a life. I don't have as much stuff to do because <laughs> we're out here in the rural area. Sure. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I mean, what would you rather trade? Would you rather have a, a five minute commute? Uh, and then have to drive two hours to the cities on weekends when you want to do something fun, or would you rather have an hour commute and then have things around you whenever you want to do something? It's a it's a trade off for giving a take. But yeah, that's a good point. And you know, speaking of commuting, do you um, do you often have to travel um, to clients, or do do they often travel to you? Does that happen quite a bit? Yep. So Wilmer, where I'm at, I'm in south southwestern quadrant, been the biggest city in the south. Western quadrant of the state. Mm-hmm. So while I am rural, I think my experience might still be a little bit better than some other really small town lawyers, because um, we still are drawing on a lot of the counties around us um, do, do bring in a lot of work to the Wilmer area. So a, a lot of times I am traveling to like, uh, you know, Swift, Lackaparl, Meeker counties out around us mm-hmm. uh, uh, for work. And then sometimes our clients have to come all that way as well. Um, but luckily here, as we advance in technology, a lot of that can be done over the Internet. So um, so I, I'd i say we travel just as much as people travel to us. Okay. And do you do a lot of sort of telecommuting or meeting with clients via video chat? I know a lot of doctors are doing that now. Are you starting to get into that as well? Uh, we, we haven't got, out of that, or got into that yet. Okay. When I first got here... Our office was still going paper, and there wasn't a lot of technology, so I've been kind of slowly updating the office. Okay. Um, so we're, we're still not to any video chat. Some of the larger firms in the area, my, our firm is just me and my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the larger firms, they'll, they'll have some of that technology. But another, um, another aspect of rural uh, practice is probably that you're a little bit behind in technology, especially for the smaller smaller and older shops are mm-hmm. still still catching up you know not a whole lot of case management software being used things like that sure i have read a few things about how some in in a lot of rural areas attorneys are starting to use video chatting more just because it does add a little bit more of a personal element to it um right but i mean yeah it all depends on what technology you have and what technology your clients have as well yeah in a lot of our community too like we do uh, we do a lot of agricultural real estate work, too, so sure. we deal with a lot of farmers that are, not to say that farmers aren't up on technology, as in they use a lot of their type of technology, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, a lot of people that we deal with probably don't even have that capability to at least know what they're doing when they're video chatting back with us, so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that but that might not be true either, they might you know, people, rural people aren't people that don't know how to use technology. Right. Yeah, definitely. Right. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, none of us are going to say that. I mean, I'm from a small town. Andy's from a small town. <laughs> we 
we we we definitely know that all too well. Right. Um, I I want to know as and you brought up the point though about maybe some technological gaps um, as kind of rural areas get older, uh, definitely at a much faster rate than cities and suburbs. Are you finding that you're getting a lot of younger clients still, or is is that harder to try and get those types of clients in the door? Yeah, I'd say we are. Um, I mean, a lot of that is out here. There, I don't know, I'm sure it's the same in the cities, but there's a lot of family law work out here. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're always getting, sadly, we're getting a lot of young people dealing with that now, too. Um, but when it comes to a lot of the real estate stuff, um, there, there's still a lot of them as well, buying houses, uh, things like that. There are still some young people starting to take over farms that we're dealing with or starting small businesses. We do a lot of that kind of work, too. Um, so, yeah, I'd say there's yeah, I mean, there's a lot more old people, but they're, the young people are non-existent as well. Yeah. Chris, something I think would be interesting to get your insight on as someone who is in a rural area fairly early on in your career, um, what do you think can be done to get more lawyers into rural areas? That's a good question. And I know I, I read that article that you guys had um, that the ABA put out mm-hmm. about the 20% of the population is in rural areas, only 2% of the lawyers. And a, co- a couple of lawyers I've spoken to around our area um, have actually said that they're looking for attorneys as well to, to try to come out here. Uh, and that greater Minnesota is kind of, uh, kind of, you know, looking for more attorneys to come out this way because everyone wants to be in the city so bad. Yeah. Um, I, I recognize that that's probably not true everywhere, especially in the really small counties. And like uh, the article had that area in Nebraska where there's 11 counties without even an office. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I mean, eventually here, as the as the older generation starts to retire, if they are trapped in a small town and have no nobody to sell your business to or or you're one of only a couple offices and the other office doesn't feel the need to purchase your client list from you because they've got enough of their own clients mm-hmm. you know that's going to present a, a problem to them they've they've worked hard to build this office and all this goodwill and now they're not going to have anyone to purchase it from us mm-hmm. so i mean eventually there there's got to be some sort of network to try to bring in some younger attorneys that are going to be willing to purchase that office from you uh, it's kind of like a legacy or like an apprentice program or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be an interesting incentive. Yeah, for me, I, I would gi- I would give up my commute in a heartbeat. Except <laughs> I didn't. Go- except I didn't go to law school. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Andy's the non-attorney among us. Right. I was just going to touch on that. I mean, I mean, it takes me five minutes to drive from home to uh, to work, and oh. you know, I can get up at I can get up at seven seven thirty, be showered, and in a suit. And at the office before eight, so yeah, oh, that, that does sound pretty great. <laughs> oh, that sounds so good. <laughs> <laughs> I go, I go home for lunch. I eat at home. Yeah, if I ever have lunch. Oh, I know. My dad used to. I remember my dad used to come home for his lunch break every day. Oh, and, my dad did too. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. <laughs> Andy, did you have any other questions for Chris? Yeah, um, I wanted to know a little bit about breaking in too. You know, you. I think it's probably unfair to say that you had an unfair advantage, but but you your 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 father already had the practice established in right. in Wilmer, and so if if that wasn't there, do you think you would have become a lawyer 
in the Twin Cities or Duluth or Rochester or Sioux Falls or something like that? Or would you have still, do you think you still would have gone back to the hometown? It's a good question. And, uh, you know, that, that hurdle of getting out of school and getting that first job, I definitely would probably call that an unfair advantage. I mean, I just had to, I walked into it and now it's, now it's hard to leave this too, because I know that eventually I probably can take over practice and that, mm-hmm. that's definitely, uh, definitely a tempting thing, but, oh yeah, I, I mean, I've definitely had my moments where, uh, you know, especially when I was younger and first out where I just didn't know if I wanted to be in a small town and sometimes I wished I was in the cities or a different city or, um, where would I have been? When I first got out too, I looked, I looked, um, in other places besides where I'm at now mm-hmm. and, I would have been uh, just applying everywhere. So it would have been wherever the opportunity popped up. I, I definitely wasn't, I'm not one of those people where I had to be in a city, obviously, because I'm in Wilma right now. But I don't have that mindset where I'm, you know, I need to be in a big city somewhere like I think a lot of our generation has, which, mm-hmm. which I'm hoping another thing that might push lawyers out is eventually I think that trend is going to start to slow down or reverse and people are going to have to start pushing out of the city a bit. And I think, I think technology is really going to help that too. I think a lot of tech firms, are starting to set up um, their headquarters in, in kind of no man's land because mm-hmm. they know that they can do everything remotely. So, Yeah, operating costs are lower and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on today, Chris. We're going to give you the last word, uh, give you the chance to give the sales pitch to all the lawyers listening out there for why the grass is greener in Wilmer, Minnesota and all the places out there like that. Well, we've touched on a few. There's no real commute. Uh, I've always thought the hours are better. Uh, You could maybe have on a city attorney to discuss whether uh, whether their hours are worse than ours, but I believe it's more of a normal work hour, work day. Um, Easier to interact with the same people. You know, a lot of the people you're going to be working with are that small community of people. A small town like this has an actual community rather than just a huge population, so you're not running into new people every time. I know some attorneys I've met in the city say you could work almost your entire life and you might not run into the same attorney uh, on on other cases. So here it's definitely different. You're working with the same attorneys all the time. You're working with the same people. Um, You definitely build a sense of community. So if you want to come out here, I say do it. If you don't, that's... That helps me out, too, because I'm mean, less competition. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's great. Thanks thank you so much, Chris. Yep, thank you. Well, turning back from small town life to the big city, Andy has another review for us of the series For Life this time, correct? That's right, Laura. I'm back for another edition of Thumbs Down, <laughs> where I watch the latest <laughs> legal procedural TV shows and movies so that you don't have to. This week, we'll be discussing ABC's newest legal drama, For Life. I used to be just like you. I had a wife I loved. I had a family and a home. But then something happened. I, Aaron Wallace, am serving a life sentence for something I didn't do. Except today, for the first time, I've got a way to fight back. Our tale this time centers around Aaron Wallace, who is serving a life sentence for allegedly running a drug ring out of his nightclub, only he was railroaded by the DA. (gasps) So so Aaron spends nine long years learning how to become a paralegal and then ultimately pass the bar. His plan? 
represent other inmates in court so he can slowly chip away at the Bronx DA's credibility to aid in his appeal and release. Powers that be came down on me. So here I am now, nine years later, for the first time, back in the same courthouse where they came to take my life away. Except today, no matter what anybody thinks about me, about who I am and how I got here, today, I've got a way to fight back. And you can be damn sure that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> As we learn more about the crooked Bronx DA and his ADA, who are absolutely disgusted and shocked that they could be across from Aaron in the courtroom, we find out that Aaron passed the Vermont bar. He then used reciprocity to have his his uh, whatever the hell you guys call it. It's a license, Andy. <laughs> what it's is license. It? It's a license. Yeah, you license. don't even know what we have. <laughs> sure. To have his license recognized in New York. And Aaron benefited from a new warden who was interested in enacting some pro-prisoner reforms. So she was all about letting him out to practice law. Okay. So in our, so in our first episode... We have Aaron representing a fellow inmate seeking a retrial on a statutory rape and attempted murder conviction. Oh, this wow. poor this poor guy swears he didn't buy his girlfriend the oxy that she used to attempt suicide, but his ex said that he did. In an extremely convoluted sequence of events that Aaron used to win the case, Aaron's ex-wife smuggles paper into the prison. Aaron then gets a prison Nazi to fake the girlfriend's handwriting, who then bakes the paper to erase any prints. What? Aaron then also types up a fake note from a, quote, anonymous cop, quote, telling Aaron about this evidence he found. Aaron then gets the girlfriend to admit on the stand that the note isn't real and that she destroyed the original at the behest of her rich, horrible parents. Oh my God, I have so many questions. I'm so lost. Yeah, I, I have no idea. I have no idea what's going on, but this actually sounds interesting. I, I'm intrigued. I am pretty sure that he may have definitely broken some prison rules to win this case. Well, I can't some, be sure. Uh, some evidentiary I, rules as well. But I, I feel like he might deserve some more time behind bars for, <laughs> for this. Yeah. <laughs> The DA is so disgusted with Aaron winning because this is going to potentially derail his bid for New York Attorney General. And so here we're going to hear from the DA. I don't remember his name and I don't care to. <laughs> you drop everything else in your plate and do not even contemplate losing this case. So, <laughs> so they do lose. So they do lose the case but not before they really screwed with poor Aaron Wallace here. Once they even had the prison bus be intentionally late to court by two hours so that he and his client would miss the court date. And the asshole judge has the, has the temerity to blame it on Aaron and his fellow inmate for being late. Oh my gosh, last this I, is Last wild. I checked, prisoners do not drive themselves off campus to court. No. Oh. It, what are we even talking about anymore? I don't know, I'm confused. Yeah. But it did lead to the TV special of the judge threatening to hold him in contempt. Always. Sure, Always. sure. Oh my gosh. 
uh, yeah, it just made me so happy that we had a contempt threat halfway into the pilot right. of the show. <laughs> In the second episode, we see a lot more maneuvering to keep Aaron behind bars. So there isn't much bad legal drama in it beyond Aaron getting scolded by a judge for filing a writ of mandamus to compel release of his original case file. A, quote, blunt instrument at this point, isn't it, Mr. Wallace? Yes, it is, judge. Why, yes, it is. I say <laughs> not completely sure that I understand why it's a blunt instrument. That's, that's getting in the weeds a little bit. I don't think I've ever heard a legal show refer to a writ of mandamus before. <laughs> I really Aiden. wanted you to say it in the southern jaw like last Oh, like Jimmy Smith's? Oh, <laughs> Jimmy yeah. Smith style. That would have been so good. Can you we're give in, us that, Andy? We're in we're in New York now, Allie, unfortunately. <laughs> this show is loosely based on the life of Isaac Wright Jr., who served as a prison paralegal and is credited with help reducing the sentences or overturn convictions of over 20 inmates. He did not, however, represent other inmates in court. Pretty sure that still has not happened. But he is now free himself and raining righteous blows down on the corrupt system. And I've also found he likes to tweet in all caps. Lovely. And is an executive producer, it looks like, on the show. Yes. Oh, wow. Yes, he is. Now, oh, wow. I don't even know where to start <laughs> with all this. <laughs> yeah, as is Curtis 50 Cent Jackson. You got to use yeah. the full name when it's, oh, sorry. When yep. it's a legit You're right. endeavor. Right. <laughs> I oh wow. I mean it's it's a it's an admirable endeavor I guess, but the way they're doing it makes no sense as far as the legal system and how it works. I am intrigued though. I want to see this show actually. Yeah. I, I, yeah, so, I might I, have I might not check seen it out. It, but it actually I unlike the last one which I wanted to stay as far away from as possible. <laughs> I think I think this one is is worth checking out. I I don't know what do you think, Andy? I I I agree. And given the name of this segment, I still got to give For Life a thumbs down. But I'd call this one more of a thumbs down than a <laughs> thumbs down. High but praise from Andy right that is, there, folks. That is yeah. about as good as you can get. It's true. Yeah. If you listen to our first episode, I found this a far more enjoyable experience than I did the totally irredeemable Bluff City Law. <laughs> the performances are actually pretty good. The writing is still just pretty not good. It, <laughs> it is it is overly complex. And then also after you watch prison shows like Orange is the New Black or Oz, it's pretty hard to go to a sanitized network version. The like these prison Nazis are not oh. nearly as scary. Yeah. Yeah. So that is a good point. What I'm saying is during your self quarantine <laughs> this one is this one is good for forgetting about the world for a little bit, whereas Bluff City Law would have you begging for the comfort of the latest breaking news. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Andy, for uh, watching this stuff so that we don't have to. <laughs> I'm I'm I live to serve. <laughs> and with that, we're going to throw it over to Joe, who has a segment on an interesting line of cases that has been coming out. Yeah, thanks, Laura. I, I had to bring this up just because I've been following this uh, more closely than it deserves, really. Um, but it, but it's an interesting case, and it's good for uh, legal nerds like me. So I just wanted to bring it up. So there's, there's a man uh, in Kansas who is in a tough 
uh, custody dispute. Not too unusual. Um, but what is unusual is that he decided to settle this dispute he's having with his wife's attorney, really, by requesting a trial by combat. Oh, my God. <laughs> now, this is a bad idea, and it's a good example of why, <laughs> why you don't represent yourself, right, uh-huh. folks? Uh, this is not a good idea. <laughs> Fine law does not condone this kind of behavior. Um, but, yeah, what he did was he petitioned the court, and he asked for 12 weeks so that he could forge or secure some katana swords. Oh, now, my God. For, for non-nerds out there, katanas are, are these famous Japanese medieval weapons that have become popular in certain circles and in oh, comics. Wow. Um, so, yeah, he, he— It's also what uh, Leonardo used in the Ninja Turtles. That is true. What a, what a fantastic throwback, Andy. I love it. <laughs> Um, (laughs) (laughs) so obviously uh demonstrating to a judge the desire for violence with medieval weaponry is not the best way to get more time with your children right um i I do want to throw in here though i don't think it was he was serious he's trying to make a point he's not actually looking to fight anyone um and the reason i bring this up isn't to pick on anyone the guy's obviously going through some things and i don't want to minimize the effect something like this could have on his ex-wife and his children mm-hmm. um so no i find it interesting because he got the idea from a lawyer in new york who did the same thing in 2016 a lawyer named richard luthman was sued by opposing counsel for allegedly advising a client to fraudulently transfer funds so luthman was very upset motioned the court to and I quote, permit the undersigned to dispatch plaintiffs and their counsel to the divine providence of the maker for him to exact his divine judgment once the undersigned has released the souls of the plaintiffs and their counsel from their corporeal bodies personally and or by way of a champion. Um, I assume that Luthman then went on to participate in an epic game of Dungeons and Dragons. (laughs) But I, I don't know that for a fact. Oh, wow. You but, lawyers, you still have to use words like corporeal, too. No, it's something fine. After all the money we paid to learn words like corporeal, we have to <laughs> exactly. use them. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is ridiculous yeah. on so many levels. But, you know, he, he's got an interesting point. Um, so he, you know, trial by combat was allowed under British common law until 1819. So... You know, it's this old tradition. I think sometimes people think that it happened all the time, kind of in in, the, in medieval times. But really, it, it's a tradition from Germanic tribes who would allow trial by combat in situations in which there was not a lot of evidence. Mm-hmm. And it kind of made its way into British common law. I have questions, Joe. Um, so uh, there are weird laws on the books. Does this exist in these locations where, where these two people live? Is that why they think? Or is it just the historic nature of that law. Yeah, so the argument is that it's never been specifically prohibited under the U.S. Constitution. (laughs) Fantastic. Or (laughs) under state constitutions. Neither has voting for gummy bears. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, so so Lethman is just arguing that since it's never been outlawed. I mean, and it's true because when the U.S. adopted British common law in, you know, 17... 90 whatever yeah 1774 (laughs) i think is the is the answer um you know 
they allowed duels at the time. Mm-hmm. And there is nothing in the Constitution that came later that specifically prohibited duels. So his argument is that, hey, uh, when the Constitution was drafted, this was an okay thing to do, even though you know nobody really did do it. Um, they had duels, but there were no officially sanctioned trial by combats, really. And mm-hmm. so it wasn't mentioned in the Constitution. But it's actually it's a decent legal argument. Um, you know, it's it's crazy and. It takes a lot of moxie to do it, yeah. but, but it's actually, it's it's original. Um, it's original, for sure. Yeah. yeah. decent or not, I don't know. Well, it's it's hard to say of anything other than, well, you're not wrong. You know, yeah. it's, it's and kind it, of and complicated. You know, I mean, of course it's ludicrous to imagine a judge actually doing this. I think the mm-hmm. point from the attorney's perspective was just to draw attention to it. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was obviously upset with the opposing party, and he was trying to make a point. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I, I kind of feel bad for this guy who's representing himself in Kansas because he got this idea from the lawyer who had sure. did it for a specific purpose. Mm-hmm. And then right. he, you know, tried to do the same thing and make the same point. And, uh, you know, it was not a good idea. It completely backfired. Now he's got to go undergo psychological evaluations. Mm-hmm. And now it's it's kind of a whole thing with his custody dispute. So that yeah. part is is a little bit, you know not so fun but it is no. it, it is an interesting legal argument and, and it's something that i've been kind of watching closely and i'll I'll see how it develops um and i'll be interested but i i definitely for anybody out there this is not a good argument to make it's a fun thing to talk about <laughs> yeah not think a, twice don't don't do it yourself yeah like it it's funny but you know th- think about it <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Oh, so mistake, I, yeah. yeah. So I had to bring that up, and I, I had to give that off my chest. So that's a public service <laughs> announcement from me to you. Um, so thank you for giving me the time. Yeah, of course. Thank you, John. All right. <laughs> Uh, Well, that's all we have for today. Thank you so much for joining us on Fine Laws Don't Judge Me. Check the show notes for other related content. And if you have some time to spare, do us a favor and rate and review our show wherever you listen to podcasts. For more content on the real life of lawyering, visit our legal professionals site at lp.finelaw.com. 